walked in the door and I had just called and I said, son, how did it go? And he said, dad, he said, it's unbelievable. He said, so many weird things were happening today. I said, it always happens, son, when you're going to stand up for Christ. This happens to me all the time. People pull fire alarms. Kids talk in the front row. The sound goes haywire. We forget sometimes that we're in a spiritual battle, don't we? We forget sometimes that there is an individual, a very, very powerful, powerful being that does not want you to hear, does not want you to know what God has planned for you. And he said, but I worked through it, Dad. I worked through it. There was this... I won't get into it. Never mind. He worked through it. God used it. And it's pretty cool. I'm proud of him. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's just a blessing for me to look around the room. There's a, there's a couple young men here, but one young man here that I was telling Doug when I saw him walk in. I've known him for 20 years. 20 years. And he was 17 years old. Same age as my daughter. He came to Iowa State early and used to be in a small group that I used to meet with across from the gymnasium at Iowa State University. Pete, where are you, brother? Stand up, man. There he is, right over there. Pete, you don't even look 18 now, Pete. Unbelievable. It's a blessing to see you. And then I see Farley sitting there, a young man that my wife and I led to the Lord when we lived in the sorority. Right there, Farley. Good to see you, Farley. My goodness. What a joy to see men and women who are still going on for Christ. And some of you, you know, have just been known the Lord a week. Some of you know the Lord a year. And I intend to see you and expect to see you 20 years from now following the Lord. I want to ask you tonight, if someone asked you, what is your calling, what would you say? You don't have to answer that. But I just want you to think about that a minute. If someone asked you, what is your calling, what would you say? I want to talk to you about that this evening. I just have a number of things that I'm going to need to go over with you. I believe the Lord wants us to go over. But this is probably tonight the most important question in your life. What is your calling? Do you know it? Have you received it? When did you get it? Because the calling of God in your life is the most significant, life-changing event in your life. Once you have been called by God, it forever changes your life. I remember when I was... Uh, well, I was raised, you know, in a Christian family. Some of you know that. And I think God began speaking to my life as a very young child, but I really wasn't very attentive. Now, some of you know what I mean when God starts speaking to you. It's that still, small, but very loud and clear voice that tugs at your heart. For some of you, it may happen a couple of years ago at Evergreen. For some of you, it may happen when you were very young. Some of you may have been at a Billy Graham crusade. But you knew, sitting in that audience, God's talking to me. You get a little flush. You feel a little warm. Your heart starts to beat just a little bit faster. Your pulse sort of quickens. And you know right now, this is a holy moment. Something's going on in my life. For me, that holy moment was started at 15. And I was in this little Baptist church. And this preacher was sharing on hell. And I was sitting next to this girl that I really liked a lot. 
And I knew sitting in that seat, I got very uncomfortable. I started wriggling around in my seat. I did not like what I was hearing. I knew God was speaking to my soul. And I knew I'm going to hell. And I need to do something about it. And God's trying to get my attention. So that night when the pastor gave the altar call, I got up trembling. I knew everybody in the congregation. And I walked down that aisle. And I went in with an older gentleman whose older son was a friend of mine. His name was Bill. And Bill starts crying because people in the church, they've been praying for me for a long time. And I said, Bill, I want to get saved. God's calling my life. So I bowed my head and asked Christ into my life. And a few weeks later, got baptized. And a few weeks after that, went to my principal, who was also my best friend's father, and my baseball coach. And I quit the baseball team because God had a call in my life. Next year, I ended up in high school. And before long, I didn't care about the call of God in my life. I didn't care about taking a stand for righteousness. I didn't care about following Christ. And the next three and a half, four years were the worst three and a half, four years of my life. I was like Jonah. And I ran from God, deliberately ran from God. I knew God wanted to do something in my life, but I didn't care. I liked women a lot more than I liked God. I liked the pleasures of the flesh a lot more than I liked God. And during those years, God was speaking to my heart. And I tried real hard to shut His voice out. For a long time, I succeeded. The only way I succeeded was by shouting God down. And I would get very angry, and I would get very upset, and I would get very frustrated at God. And I kept turning a deaf ear to God. And God kept working on my heart. Finally, I graduated from high school, and I tried to run away from everything that was in my past from a hometown, from my family, and quite frankly, from God Himself. God followed me. And God, through circumstances, started to work in my life. I didn't care. I didn't want the things of God. I wanted to live, literally, I wanted to live for sin and for myself. Well, before that year was over, my the year that I graduated, before the end of that year, God started working on me severely. Do you know how God took Jonah and put him in the mouth of a whale? In other words, He trapped him in circumstances that were bigger than he was and he couldn't run anymore? Well, God put me in circumstances. I couldn't run anymore. And God started working in my heart. And God started to speak to me. And God started to show me through some very close calls with my life that, Mark, I can end your life any time I want. You better wake up because I have something I want to do in your life. And that was 21 years ago. That was my Damascus Road. And after three very close calls with my life, I bowed my knee to Jesus Christ. And I bowed my knee to God. And that became the defining moment in my life. The defining moment. That moment determined many of the lives in this room tonight. That that moment determined many of the lives that you see at Evergreen on the weekend. 
That moment determined the course of my four children and my spouse. That moment was the most critical moment of my life. It was the time God knocked me off my high horse as He did Paul and said, why are you kicking against the goads? This isn't very comfortable. Fighting me, Mark. Now I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my sake and you'll be my servant and I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Of course, that's all the world is, Gentiles. Other than the few Jews that are in the world, the majority of them are Gentiles. My question to you tonight, and I'm going to be reiterating this theme over and over again, is when was your Damascus road and have you ever had one And if you have not, it's critical that you do. And tonight, I believe this weekend will be for many of you your Damascus Road. I am convinced of that. That there are many of you in this room that Christianity is nice, but it's still a game. You're still not at it with all you've got. You still don't get it. You still don't comprehend what it is that God has called you to. If you turn to Acts chapter 9, we see here the life of Paul. And it says here in Acts chapter 9, Verse 1, Meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters. <coughs> this right there is fine. Thank you very much. No, you, yeah, right there is great. Right there. Thank you. This can stay here for now. I don't care. <coughs> but I'll use that. One for water, one for the... Thank you very much. <coughs> He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call in your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name to the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much you must suffer for my name. And Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me as you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This was a defining moment in Paul's life. And if you go to Acts chapter 26, you will find that when Paul stood before King Agrippa, many, 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 many years later in his life, God was doing just what He told Paul, I would do with you. And He was bringing him before the king. And before that king, He said, Oh, Agrippa, I'm so glad I get to speak to you today, for you are familiar with these things. And then He goes on to tell His story. And He says, I was on the road to Damascus. And He tells this story. And then you know what He says? He says, I was not disobedient to my heavenly vision. was the defining moment in Paul's life. It was the defining moment in Paul's life. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you something. <coughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. says this. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. I want you to underline that in your Bible. It's okay. If you don't believe in underlining your Bible, then write it in your notebook. Brothers, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose, underline that word, chose twice already, the weak things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Three times there Paul says, you're chosen. Twice he says, you are called. The question is, has that dawned on you yet? Every single one of you in this room, male or female, are as called by God and as significant to God as the Apostle Paul himself. And you must be willing to understand that through the eyes of faith. 
God chose you and called you for a special divine purpose. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 1 in verse 13. Galatians chapter 1 in verse 13. Now remember again that the scriptures are written to us who are believers. Galatians chapter 1 verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism... How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. You see the significance that this has to Paul. He goes back to it over and over and over and over again in his life. This moment, this moment when he says, you heard about, let me tell you my story. I was previously this in my life. If you talk to any one of the pastors, they would tell you about this same defining moment. Brent, who's going to go into medical school. Mark, who was into nursing and then had had a you know, very successful business. God spoke to him in college. Doug, John, every single one of them, Charlie. He talked to Greg Larson, who was also going to go to medical school. And God called him at a conference just like this in some little podunk camp in Iowa. Eight and a half years ago. And it changed the course of his life. Same thing happened to my wife. Almost 22 years ago, a little Twin Lakes Bible camp. Rockwell City, Iowa. And God touched her life. She's never been the same since. You see here how significant this is? God set you apart from birth. Every single one of you. You see, this gives all the significance in the world, first of all, to your past. Your past only happened so that your present could occur. It really is totally irrelevant what kind of family you were raised in. It's really totally irrelevant to the present, your past experiences. God caused you to be physically born so one day He could reveal His Son to you because you were set apart from the moment you came out of your mother's womb. Whether you come from a wonderful family, a broken family, no matter where it was, God predestined you and set you apart from the womb. In fact, Psalm 139 says, He knits you together in your mother's womb. And then God revealed His grace to you and called you by His grace. Since the beginning, since the beginning of time, as we know it, not as God knows it, but as we know it, God has chosen special individuals to know Him and to accomplish His special purpose. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Jacob, Jonah, Samuel, David, John the Baptist, Esther, Mary, Jeremiah, Paul, and now you. 
Has that ever really gripped you? Because I'll tell you, it grips me. I have no question in my mind that I am as significant to the plan of God as John the Baptist was in the life of Jesus. There has not been a question of that in my mind for 21 years. I know that for a fact. Do you realize there are approximately 5 billion people in the world right now? And I sincerely doubt that a billion of them know the Lord. You've been chosen specially by God. Specially chosen by God to be something significant. And I'm going to show you what that is tonight. We're going to go through almost every one in the scriptures of what God called you to be. You think about these people, the list. Noah, God chose Noah to save the world. Little old Noah, little old farmer, just a righteous guy, loved his wife, loved his kids, didn't have a perfect family, you know, his sons all got drunk. Noah got drunk for that matter. But God decided to use him. And for some approximately hundred years, Noah's building an ark. God said, I'm going to destroy the world, Noah. Now build an ark. And he starts building that ark day after day. And the Bible lets us know later on in Peter and in Jude that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And he tried to tell others and he warned others, but they wouldn't listen to Noah. Just like many don't listen to you. They didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't listen to Paul. Some did. Paul understood what he was called to do. And Noah understood what he was called to do. And he did it. And he did it. One day God said, Noah, time's up. Get the animals, get in the ark. Gets them in the ark, God shuts the door and it starts to rain and it starts to rain and the people are scared to death and they are pounding on the doors of the ark and they all die. The whole planet dies! I guarantee you Noah is real glad God chose him. I hope you understand something. The whole planet's going to be destroyed again! And you are going to be saved. I hope you're glad about that. I hope you understand the same destruction is coming again. Only this time it won't be by water. It will be by fire. Read that for yourself in the book of Revelation. And then we go on to Abraham. God takes this Abraham's Chaldean from the Ur of Chaldees. God says, Abraham, go to a land I want to take you to. And he does something significant and awesome with Abraham. We go to Joseph. Remember little old Joseph? Comes from a family of all these brothers. Eleven brothers. And he was one of the youngest until they had Benjamin. They had Benjamin after he left. He said ten other brothers. Because they were the twelve tribes of Israel. His father played favorites. His brothers were very hateful. And God called Joseph. God spoke to Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream. Not like the dreams people have today. This was from God. And it was going to happen. And Joseph banked his life on it. And he told his brothers, brothers made fun of him. They hated him even more. But God, God used Joseph. I tell you what, all of Israel was glad Joseph believed God. Because he saved the nation. And then we go on to Jacob, to Jonah, to Samuel. Little Samuel. 
His mother prayed and prayed and prayed. God, give me a son and I'll give him back to you. And others made fun of her because she was barren. And finally, she had a baby and she kept her word and she gave him to God. And when he was approximately three to five years old, she left him with Eli at the temple. And God starts speaking to Samuel. And one night, Samuel's sleeping. And he hears this voice and he goes in, Eli, you called? I, I didn't call you. Go back to bed, Samuel. Samuel goes back to bed. <coughs> Sammy hears his voice. He walks in. Eli, what do you want? Sammy, you're hearing things. Go back to bed. You see, say Eli was an old man. He'd grown dull to the voice of God. Like some of us. And God comes to Samuel again. Samuel. He goes into Eli. Eli scratches his head, thinks for a minute. And he says, Samuel, next time that happens, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. I remember my mom teaching me that, King James. Speak, Lord, for your servant listeneth. And so little Samuel, next time it happens, speak, Lord, for your servant listeneth. And Samuel was a remarkable man. And then there's David. This little shepherd boy. You know, out there taking care of sheep. And God picks him to be a king. God picks you to be a king. David's no greater than you. And then you go on to John the Baptist. You go to Esther. My goodness, Esther's life doesn't seem all that blessed. It sure was. And I'll tell you, she's rejoicing right now in heaven that God called her. Then you go to Mary. Little Mary. Probably between 14 and 17 years old. It's very common in those days to be engaged in that period of your life. And God comes and calls her. says, you're going to be my girl. You're going to deliver my son to the world. Think Mary's glad that God called her? That moment altered Mary's life forever. And then you look at what happened when God called Paul. This man Saul who's a murderer, violent, aggressive, hated the church, the least possible guy you would think God would want anything to do with. <clears throat> Killing God's people, torturing them, dragging them out of homes, thinking he was doing a God a favor. God struck him down. Struck him off his arrogant high horse. He said, Paul, I have plans for you. And it altered his life. What? will you do with your calling? I want you to ask yourself that question the entire weekend. I want you to think about it when you're walking by the lake. I want you to think about it when you're laying in bed at night staring at the ceiling trying to get to sleep. What will you do with your calling? Does it mean something to you? What does God want you to do with it? What will you do with your calling? Does it mean something significant to you? What do you think God wants you to do with it? And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of this weekend. God wants you to walk worthy of it. He wants you to live up to it. He wants you to walk in an honorable, noble, and appropriate manner for someone called to such greatness. He wants you to act a part. He wants you to live it out.
Now, you've got to figure this out, brother and sister. You really have to figure this out when it is that God called you and what God has called you to. And we're going to go over that this weekend, what God called you to. But I believe even this weekend, God's going to be speaking to your heart. You know, you don't have to be driving down a road and have God knock you off a cliff and you fall and miraculously live to know, wow, I think God has plans for my life. Some of you basically literally had that happen. And figuratively, literally speaking. I'll let you figure out what I mean by that. I mean that many of your lives, you were headed off a cliff, sinfully speaking. And God came along and swept you off your feet. You know, I, there's a person here tonight, I hope they don't mind I use them as an example, but if they do, they can beat me up later. But I only use them because I'm so proud of them. But I, I remember, I remember almost eight and a half years ago, the first time I met Molly Rip. I'll never forget meeting Molly on the University of Minnesota. And I'll never forget how absolutely lost Molly was eight and a half years ago. And I'll never forget when Molly got saved and God called her. She's one of those individuals, I've known a couple other like this, who right from the very beginning understood it, somehow got it. And she's been following that calling ever since. Oh, sure, just like all of us, she's fallen on her face, made mistakes. And now she's gone other places in the world, sharing her faith with others. Charlie came back to me. I was just so blessed by this. You got to understand I feel like a proud father because, you know, I led her to the Lord. Charlie said, Mark, he said, man, I'll tell you this trip. You would have been so proud of Molly. What a heart. What a spirit. What a desire to serve the Lord. She was just a blessing to the whole team. Yeah, that's my girl. That's the way a lot of you are, actually. I just don't know all of you in that manner. Some of you I do. But her I've had the privilege of seeing from being unborn to born to now growing in her faith and following God. And it's not been an easy journey. She'd be the first one to tell you that. She's not a perfect person. I'm not holding her up here tonight because I think she's perfect. I'm not perfect either. I wouldn't be here. But I'll tell you this. She understands God has a call in her life. And it's made it so she can't rest unless she does something about it. And that's what God wants to do in your life. See? That it becomes the most important defining moment in your life. And then from that point on, you arrange and prioritize your entire world around that calling. And you allow nothing else to derail you or to get in the way. And that's where it starts. Now I'm going to go over with you all the things you are called to be. The first one, I don't have all these numbered. I'm just going to go blah, 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 blah down the line, all right? God's sons. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. You are God's children. You are God's servant. Go to 1 Peter 2, 16. 
1 Peter 2 and verse 16. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Over and over again, I cannot overemphasize this, over and over again, Paul starts off his epistles by something like this. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and a bond slave. Paul, a bond slave, called to be an apostle. That's the number one thing on Paul's mind all the time. This is what I am. This is what I am. I used to be this. I don't even care about what I used to be. This is what I am. Paul never describes his life as Paul, the tent maker. Paul. The Jewish ex-Pharisee, although once once in a while he refers to his past, just to show that he doesn't glory in it. So someone asks you what you were called to do, what would you say? Well, I'm called to be a nurse. I'm called to be a sailor. I'm called to be a professional athlete. No, you're not. No, you're not. That may put food on the table. That may pay your bills. But that is not your godly vocation. You have been called to be God's child, to be God's representative, to be God's light. I'm getting ahead of myself. See, I'm start repeating all these things out. I better go slow so you can write them down. All right? You are Christ's representative, God's ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 You are God's hand-picked representative. Anyone remember what Moses was? Moses was God's hand-picked representative to go to Pharaoh and represent God. And you are God's hand-picked representative to go to the world. To go snatch people, as Jude says, as a firebrand from hell. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, hold back those who are being led to slaughter. And don't say we didn't know. For he who sees know you knew. We are Christ's witnesses. Acts 1.8 says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You are God's witnesses. Romans 1.6 you were called to belong to Christ. Turn there for just a moment. Romans 1.6 And it says, And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to belong to Christ. You are saints. Romans 1 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint. A saint is God's holy people. And you are called to be God's saint. Romans 8 28. 
You were called according to His purpose. His purpose. Two things here you need to understand. You don't belong to you anymore. You don't belong to you anymore. You have no rights to your life. Corinthians says, you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and do not become the slaves of men. And you don't have your own purposes anymore. You have been called to God's purpose. You are holy. Holy. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, turn there. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, and called to be holy, together with those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. 2 Timothy 1, 9 says you were called to a holy life. Turn to 1 Peter 1.15. 1 Peter 1.15 We'll start with verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Now, there's a little confusion about Holiness. I always just want to try to end that confusion. Holiness means you are set apart from sin. It means you deliberately, God has already, but you in your life, you set yourself apart from sin. You are called to something much higher than just what everyone else in the world is doing, simply living for their own fleshly, carnal fulfillment. A person who's holy is set apart from that. Tiger Woods is holy to golf. He was set apart from the time he was three years old. He was on the Michael Douglas show with a golf club in his hand. His parents determined that for him. Now I guess he's probably glad they did. You know, he doesn't engage in lots of other things. Golf is his thing. If someone knew you and looked at you what, would you, what would they say is your thing? What are you wholly set apart to? We are called to be in fellowship with Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.9 Called to be in fellowship with Christ. That's a pretty amazing thing. You are called to be free. Galatians 5.13 For freedom Christ sets you free. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the sin. We are free from the law and free from con- the control of sin. We are called to be loved by God. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 Let's go there for just a moment. 2 Thessalonians 2.
and verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.9 If you go there for just a moment. First Peter 2.9 You are God's chosen people. Chosen. You are a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. Bible says in Romans that our priestly duty is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our priestly duty. That's what Paul described his priestly duty as. 1 Peter 2.21 This is one that will excite everyone. <clears throat> to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow. We are called to suffer. Boy, we don't like that one, do we, you know? God didn't call us to be comfortable the rest of our life. I was sharing this the other evening at uh, my seminar. For those of you who were there, you already heard it. For those of you who weren't, you hear it now. One of the primary reasons many of us never suffer, not that you don't have trials, but I'm talking about religious suffering, is because you never open your mouth. Because you forgot what you were called to. Silent witnesses never suffer. Except in time you will. In time you will. You have to make a choice. But when you start speaking up, listen. You want to know why Paul's life was so hard? Does he take a brain surgeon to figure out why Paul's life was so hard? Because he opened his mouth. And if he'd have shut his mouth, he wouldn't have had any problems. Paul says in Galatians, if I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't have these problems. But I'm not trying to please men. I'm trying to please God. And so I open my mouth. And whenever you start opening your mouth and taking a stand for Christ and sharing Christ with others, it's not very popular. People take offense at the cross. And they take offense at you. We're called to suffer. We're called to have something that matters to us enough that we'd be willing to die for it. And I don't know why you came. I got a feeling some of you weren't ready for this at all. <laughs> but I got to tell you why I came. I, I didn't come to play a game. Conferences frankly, are my favorite time. This is about my 48th conference in the last seven years. You know why they're my favorite time? Because I get sick and tired of wearing kid gloves. 
I like it when we get together and we leave our normal routine of life and we get away and we want to hear what God has to say to us. I like it. Now you can go home, it's not that easy, but you could if you want. But I like it, we can't go home. We're here. And there's one time the rain comes down, red rain comes down the second time, red rain comes down the third and the fourth, and about the fifth time, God starts tugging at your heart. I hate the way we do the routine of church in America. I hate it. I've got to be honest with you. I do it because it kind of works in America, but I hate it. Once a week for 30 little stinking minutes. I hate it. I hate it. New Testament, they met every day from house to house in the temple courts as often as they could. And I'll tell you what, if some of us start getting burned at the stake and some of us start getting shot and some of us start losing our jobs, guess what? TV won't matter so much. Softball league won't matter so much. You'll be wanting to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ because you're going to need some stinking encouragement or you ain't going to make it. It changes things, you see, when you're in a war. It changes things. Very few of us in this room understand we're in war. We don't even want to be in war. We don't even want to pick up our weapon and fight. I just want to go through my life, hope somebody asks me about Jesus, because then I'll share with them. It'll be so lovely. We never worry about creating opportunities. We never worry about standing up on our job and saying, I will not do that. I'm going to bend the rules. Because they're righteous men and women walking worthy of their calling. Then have a room packed full of people who are a little apathetic, a little lukewarm, a little cold. Now I'm not saying, I want you to know something here. Before you run off and misinterpret what Mark says. That I don't think we're doing the right thing at Evergreen. I think we're doing what we have to do in America to reach Americans. But you're already saved. See? So I expect more from believers. But I understand that we have to try to reach lost people for Jesus Christ. And I understand that we have to go to our jobs. The early church, my friend, 80% of them in Jerusalem were owned by someone else. They were bought and paid for slaves. So you think your life's a little rough? You think life's a little tough? You think, you know, you, you have a little trouble, you know, the boss wants a little more out of you? Well, at least... All of us in this room are free people. We're free. We really need to wake up to the reality of what's going on around us. Because I'm just telling you right now, brother and sister, I'm telling you this because I love you. All hell is going to break loose in this country against you. The most oppressed, maligned people in this country are not homosexuals. I'm sorry, Ellen. My heart bleeds for you. The people that are the most oppressed, the most neglected, the most overlooked, and the most vilified are born-again, God-fearing Christian men and women. And it's going to get worse. Little by little, more and more of your freedoms are going. And then we're going to find out Who the men are, who the boys are, who the women are, who the girls are. Find out. It's starting to happen. It's going to happen. It's destined to happen. The Bible foretells it in the book of Daniel, in the book of Ezekiel, in the book of Revelation, in the book of Timothy. It's going to happen. 
We've got to wake up, men and women. My goodness. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Some of us just all broken up. You know, somebody doesn't like us. But the Bible says in Philippians to take pride in it because it's a sign that you're really saved and that they're going to be judged. Turn there, I'll show you. In Philippians chapter 1. I know some of you don't believe this. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27. One of our theme verses for the weekend. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God... For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I got a call from Charlie. I just I was about a week and a half before I came up here. He says, Mark, I just I just called you. I want you to pray for Molly today. I said, What's going on? He said, Well, you know, their boss told her that she could go to get off and go on this trip to Venezuela. Well now they changed their mind, they're threatening to fire her. So she just went right to her superintendent and said, you know, that's religious persecution. And man, the place is shaking up a little bit. Yeah, that's, that excites me. That, that really, that, that excites me. There's a price to pay for following the Lord. And some of us it's the reason why we've not submitted yet to our calling, because we know it. Because we know it. But I'll tell you something. Don't ever forget this. If you keep your life, you will lose it. And if you lose your life, you will find it. And those of you that are afraid, and those of you that are holding on to life, you don't understand it's going to be taken from you anyway. You're going to lose it anyway. And wish to God that you would have done something significant with your life. We were chosen and appointed to be fruitful. John 15, 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. In Ephesians 5 8, the Bible says, We are children of the light. Children of the, we used to be children of the darkness. Now we're children of the light. I remember one time, you know, children of the light are meant to shine. That's the whole point. We're going to look at this later this weekend. The Bible says we shine, we shine like stars in the world as we hold out the word of light. Remember one time many years ago, one of the college students teacher was up front and this is a big lecture about 400 students in the room about maybe this size close to this size and the teacher was a extreme liberal feminist and she was just ranting and raving it's amazing what they'll do at college man it's amazing they talk about us wanting to shove things down people's throat man you you should go to a college classroom sometime 
You should hear the things that the teachers will just spout off. They have no right to spout off. It doesn't even fit in with the coursework. Some of the things they've said to my children in the classroom, they just spout off. They use it as their own public forum for their own godlessness. So this woman's ranting and raving about it. You know, I'll tell you what, once uh, all, all men are rapists and this and that. And once, once you have anorexia, believe me, your life can never change. You're ruined forever. So this girl, she had a sister. whose life had been radically changed by Christ. So she raised her hand. The teacher called her and she stood up in the whole class. She said, I, I beg to differ with you. I lived with a girl who was anorexic, bleeming, went through $30,000, $40,000 worth of treatment, and I beg to differ with you. Her life's changed. It was changed by Jesus Christ. You, blankety blank, sit down and shut up. Cut her off at the knees, you know. She went back the next day and stood up again. You never have any problems if you don't stand up and be counted. I just want to tell you that right now. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. You see, but when 50,000 people in a room bow down and you're the only three that don't, I guess you kind of stick out like a sore thumb, don't you? So the king gave him another chance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, why don't you bow down? I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down. And he looked him in the eye and stood him eyeball to eyeball and said, O king, we will not bow down to your image now or ever. We only bow the knee to the living God. And He is able to save us. And even if He decides not to, we still won't bow down. Big blankety blank scum! Get him right now! Heat the furnace seven times hotter! And they take him and they throw him in. The guys who threw him in, the furnace was so hot they died instantly. They threw him in. And all of a sudden, the king jumps from his seat and there's four walking around. And one of them looks like the son of the gods. Jesus Himself. And the king rushes and brings him out. And then he decrees, now everybody in the whole land will worship the one true God. Boy, do I beg God for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see, brother and sister, I want to tell you something. I mean this. This is not a game for me. This is not a joke for me. This is what I set out to do years ago. And I have not yet achieved it. One person... Two persons, three persons can change the world if you have the guts to stand up and be counted. And that's what the Old Testament is full of stories of men and women with the guts to stand up and be counted for something. Something righteous, something good. And they change the world. Paul changed the world. Jesus changed the world. It cost him his life. You think he regrets getting you? He did it for you. The Bible says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You were the joy set before him. He went through all of that to get you. Because you matter more to him than his life. I want to share with you tonight why we ought to walk worthy of our calling. First, we have to understand what our calling is. Secondly, we have to understand why I ought to walk worthy of that calling. What significance, what relevance does it have? Go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 4, 1. 
says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Notice he says, there's a prisoner for the Lord. I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. Past tense. You've already received this calling. Some of you may not grasp it yet. When you came to Christ, you got the calling. Some of you need to realize that you have it. But you've got it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. If you go there for just a moment. He writes, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. First reason why we ought to walk worthy of our calling, because God asks you to. And it pleases Him and brings pleasure to His heart. First compelling reason, God asks you to. In one sense, we really need no more reasons besides that. God asked me to. I know some of you here, you do just about anything for a friend. Might be one in the morning, you're having a really hard time. You call your friend on the phone. Hey, man, I need to tell you the whole story. I remember one time I got a call from a friend. It was two in the morning. This individual, this, this guy was just weeping. He said, Bart, you got to get over here right away. I didn't ask why. I got on my clothes, washed my face, brushed my teeth, so I didn't stink. And I went over there. I spent the next three hours there. You know, sometimes we do for a friend what we never do for God. We ought to walk worthy of our calling because God asks us to. 2 Corinthians 5, 6-9, through 9, I want to share with you a verse that has been a defining verse for me in my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we live or at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether at home and in the body or away from it. Now, first thing I want to show you here, it's kind of interesting. This just came to me. I just want to throw it out for whatever it's worth, especially because of this, uh, these crazy nuts out in California, you know, who just decided to go see Hale Bob. Do you know how many times Paul says he wishes to be with the Lord? A number of times in the New Testament, doesn't he? He says, I'd rather be with the Lord. I'd rather be with the Lord. It'd be far better for me. Did Paul ever take his own life? No. Because it wouldn't please the Lord. Of course heaven's better than what's here. We're going to be there. Paul says, in the meantime, I live my life to please the Lord. That's the defining verse in my life. The New American Standard Bible says, I make up my ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. Now I want to ask you this question tonight. Are you ambitious to be pleasing to the Lord? Are you ambitious to get married? Are you ambitious to get rich? Are you ambitious to get your degree? Are you ambitious for your entertainment? Are you ambitious for whatever it is you fill in the blank? But are you ambitious to please God? Have you made it your ambition, your primary drive, your number one priority? Lord, I want to please you. I want to please you. Ephesians 5.10. Go there for just a moment. Ephesians 5.10 says... 
in verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. And find out, it's a quest, see? Find out what pleases the Lord and then live it out. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.1. is this. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please the Lord as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do that more and more. Do it more and more. Go after it. Tenaciously. With all that's in you, go after it. Lord, I want to please you. I want to please you. Second reason we ought to walk worthy of the Lord, Romans 12.1. You go there for just a moment, Romans 12.1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The New American Standard Bible says this is your reasonable spiritual service of love. We ought to walk worthy of the Lord because it's our reasonable act of worship. Worship is really shown by the way you live your life and what you live your life for. The church in America is full of Sunday Christians. Full of Christians who like the neatest sounds, the neatest music, have their cool band up front playing, and they worship God. And they're like Jesus says in Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then they go about their day and about their life, lived exclusively and only for self. For their own comfort. For their own gain. For their own success. Why do you think the prosperity gospel is so popular in this country? It fits into our American Christian view of God. I can be rich and expect God wants me to be rich. And why was Jesus poor? Why was Paul's life so difficult? Well, because because God's, God's given me a vision. God has spoken to me. And God has revealed new truth to his modern day prophets. That is crap. This is the written word of God. And anyone who comes along and tells you something that is not found in here is a liar. Like Jimmy Swaggart. Like Kenneth Copeland. Like the list could go on and on of the individuals today who are perverting the Word of God. Who are twisting it to say things that it doesn't really mean. I was talking with an individual recently. This really just broke my heart, this story. Individual just started coming to Evergreen has recently lost a loved one. And they, uh, they came to know the Lord about two and a half years ago, which I think is awesome. I think it's fantastic. And God used this church they were going to to win them to Christ. Their lives changed. And it's a glory to the Lord. Well, then this individual got sick, very sick, 
with cancer. And they were told that we're going to claim a healing. God's told us this person's going to be healed. This person's going to be well. And we claim it in the name of Jesus. And over and over again they called them up front. And then the individual died. And after the funeral, no one would speak to them. No one would talk to them. Everyone turned their back on them. Yeah, what do you do, people? What do you do, Benny Hinn? When the people you said weren't going to die, die. What are you going to do? Boy, I hope, brother and sister, you're not taken in by this stuff. I hope you're not taken in by... I hope you get your nose in this book and you find out that the Lord called us to a tough life. Heaven's coming. It isn't here yet. And we aren't going to have heaven on earth. We aren't going to have heaven on earth. We were called to suffer. We were called to give our life in view of the mercy of God to us. We were called to lay down our life. Say, Lord, here it is. Just take it. Take me, Lord. I'm yours. I will do what you want me to do. I will spend the rest of my life in the pursuits of God and conforming my life to you. That's what the Lord wants. But Christians, you know, we just want Bible study. Hey, just give us more Bible study. Wow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I just want more Bible study. I want to sit down and fill our brain with more Bible thoughts, Bible truths. That's Christianity in America. No radicalism. No changing this country. No changing the world. Just give me more Bible facts. And we read our books and more books and get our albums, more albums. And Wow. We just ought to be the most religious, super spiritual people in the world. Yeah, but we're not. Christianity in America is not. Because there's so little obedience. There's so little action. But our conscience is appeased because we think we're building our whole life around Bible stuff. And God wants to change your character. And God wants us to be people who turn from sin and walk in righteousness. Well, I don't wait a minute now. Church, let's not get too serious, Mark, about our Christianity. Let's just memorize verses. God wants our life to be a living sacrifice to Him. The third reason why we ought to walk worthy is because the world is watching and God wants to cause them to believe in Him through us. Because the world is watching and God wants to cause them to believe in Him through us. You know, something's really been interesting for my family has been to see this uh, in really lived out. My, um, my family, my wife and my four children, I'm not involved in this too much. This is totally their arena almost, exclusively their arena, the karate school. My wife uh, the other day came home and she said, you know, Mark, she said, I just, I, I just, you'd have to know my wife. Uh, my wife, I don't think has, well, she's probably got a proud bone in her, but not many. 
she's just very very uh, sweet and very sincere and and you know there's just no bodaciousness about her she just she's just a sweet woman who loves the Lord and she said Mark I mean you wouldn't believe it I go to the karate school four or five women just I'm sitting there trying to watch this they surround me start talking start talking what about this what about this Kathy and she said the other day one of the women followed me out the car and said Kathy you would not believe everyone in school talks about your family and those kids all the women, they're always talking about the darling kids, the darling kids. The other day, my family went to the school in Eden Prairie, and they come walking in. Everyone starts wanting them. Whoa, the darlings are here. The darlings, we've never been to that school before. Never been to that school. But they see the family at the tournaments, and they see how they deal with the bad calls, and they see how they deal with losing, and they see how they interact with their siblings, and they see how the mom interacts with them, and God's using them. The world's watching you. They're watching you. I embrace that. I like that. I want that. God wants that for you. The world's watching you. People at work are watching you. Your family, your relatives, they're watching you. So you say you've come to Jesus. Okay, so show me. This is another thing. I, I just hate to pick on you, Molly, but you know I love you. I remember, you just have to hear Molly's story about her family sometime. It was, it was hell. It was really bad. And the reaction that her family had when she came to know the Lord, the flack that she took, but wow, has God been working on their lives. And it's a long haul, isn't it? It's a long haul. They want to find out if you put your money where your mouth is. Do you go home? Do you serve? Do you forgive? Or do you still have resentment and bitterness which the Lord we're going to look at tomorrow tells you to get rid of? And they find they're watching you. The people you work with, they're watching you. And you know, no one even ever really expects perfection, but they're watching you to see, do you walk what you say you believe? Do you love? Do you forgive? Or go to Philippians. Let me show you this. I think it's Philippians here. Yeah, chapter 1, verse 14. Let me show you this. Philippians 1, and verse 14. Now, that's not the verse. It's chapter 2. In verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I might boast on the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor in vain for nothing. You see what that says? Do you know... I know Christians that are known on their job as the whiner and the complainer. And they're always arguing. It says here to do all things without grumbling or complaining. 
And you become in that manner blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you sign like Hail Bob. Hail Bob got a lot of attention, didn't it? This crazy little comet streaking across the sky and everybody wants to see it. And that's what you're like when you walk the walk. The world's watching. And that's one of the primary reasons to walk worthy of your calling because we love the Lord. I know you love the Lord here. You wouldn't be here this weekend. You love the Lord. And you want to reflect well on the Lord. We want to get the Lord a lot of glory. We want to get the Lord a lot of honor. And the way we do that is by walking worthy of Him. And people look at you and they take notice. And even though at times you may have said things that needed to be said, and they may take offense at the cross, don't worry. They still see your day in and day out life. Your respect, your kindness, your lack of prejudice, your lack of favoritism, your fairness, your punctuality, your self-discipline, your joy. Your positive, persevering spirit in the face of adversity. Your kindness, your speech, all of which we're going to talk about tomorrow. And they look at you and, you know, I respect that person. I, I, I Sometimes they've said things I don't know if I agree with, but I respect them. And they watch you. And eventually, some of them get saved. And they pass from death to life. And the fourth reason, you will never find fulfillment apart from God's ordained destiny for you. You will never find fulfillment apart from God's ordained destiny for you. Stop fighting God, submit to Him, and really live. Stop fighting God submit to Him and then you really live. And then you really live. The rest of this weekend, we're going to talk about what it means practically to live worthy of your calling. Alright, tonight we talked about what our calling is, why we ought to live worthy. Tomorrow we're going to talk about what does it mean to live worthy. And Sunday morning we're talking about how to do that. How to do it. But I'd like you tonight, as you go back to your cabin, I know this is always hard to do and I can't really demand this of you, I won't demand it of you, but I would really like sometime between now and tomorrow when you come here to take some time to get alone with the Lord and talk to Him about your calling. Go over those verses for your quiet time tomorrow. And allow God's Spirit to work in your heart to say, Lord, I submit to my call. I want to be what you called me to be. I want to be done with the lesser things of life and I want to live my life exclusively worthy of you. I realize, Lord, I submit tonight to the premise that I am as important in your kingdom as Moses, as Mary, as John the Baptist. You have as much claim to my life as you did to theirs. And that's what the Bible says. You are called to significance. Something very, very significant. If you have any questions about anything I said, you can certainly get a hold of me during the weekend. 
I'm sure there's probably going to be some questions. If you have some criticisms, you're more than welcome to send them my way too. Sometimes I get a little carried away. I admit that. So the Bible says in Thessalonians, here's what you do. Don't despise any prophetic utterance, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to what's good. Let the rest go. I'm sure there are things tonight that were said that were dross. I'm also positive there are things that were said tonight that can revolutionize your life. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we just want to thank you tonight that you lived out the, our Heavenly Father's destiny. I want to thank you tonight, Lord, that you submitted to your calling. None of us, Lord, here this evening would be here. None of us would have any hope in life. None of us would be saved. We'd all be on our way to hell tonight. If you hadn't submitted to the Father's will, to the Father's calling in your life, I wish, Lord, that we could spend hours together just going through the Word and interacting together on what it is you've called us to even in greater detail. But I ask you, Lord, tonight, I believe that what's been said is enough and I believe that it can get across to the heart that you've called us to something spectacular, something that's of another world. In fact, you tell us that we are aliens and strangers in this world. And I ask you, God, that you just take this weekend, that you'd make this a monumental weekend in our life. I ask you, Lord, that we look back on this weekend in our lives and know for a fact that that living worthy of my calling weekend, that conference, that was a turning point in my life. God gripped my heart that weekend. God opened my eyes in a new way to show me what I'm to be about. And then I just ask you, God, to give us the will to submit to it. Give us the will, Lord, to become what it is you want us to become. In Jesus' name, amen.